0: One of the ideas that I think is crucial, and again, this is going to be somewhat, I guess, of a heady topic for some individuals, but um, it's really interesting. In this particular podcast, I get lots of messages, and depending on the group, right, many people ask for metabolism stuff, and I get a lot of requests for that, but surprisingly, I'm getting more and more requests for some of the philosophy and self-development type of stuff. And um, This particular episode comes from a series of questions. I did a post on my Instagram feed about what I would call the four existential crises that every human must endure. And it was a post that got a lot of attention, especially in DMs and a conversation that a lot of people wanted to have with me. And um, I figured because of that, I would do an episode on these, what I would call four existential crises. Now, before we get into this, let's talk a little bit about uh, existential crises, because I know you probably have heard that term, but um, not everyone sort of understands what do we mean by existential, right? So this would be as uh, something that is pertaining to life and living and uh, being in a sense. And so when we talk about an existential crisis, this, this is about questions around our existence, and life and being and questions about what we are doing here and questions about purpose and meaning and all of that kind of stuff. And so when we talk about existential crises, this typically manifests when people get to points in their lives, normally when they're going through some uh, level of suffering, whether it's a loss of a job financial concerns, anytime people are feeling unsafe, loss of a loved one through death, breakups and suffering through rejection and betrayal. These oftentimes bring about this question of what am I doing here? What is life about? Does my life have any purpose or meaning or direction? Um, And the degree to which we can answer these questions and confront these existential crises is the degree to which we can allay suffering and make a difference uh, in our lives. And we don't oftentimes uh, think about and talk about these topics. And so that's one of the reasons why I really like to delve into these things. Because while at first we might think that this is not something we need to talk about or should talk about, once you get into it, you start to see that these things are very real And very much a part of who we are trying to be and who we can be. So, the idea for today in this episode is this idea that every single one of us must contend with four conditions of living. And we have to contend with these conditions whether we want to or not. They are just part of what we must deal with. Just since we are humans, because we are humans. Now, I'm going to start out telling you what the four are right off the bat, and then I'm going to go into each one a little bit, and we'll discuss a little bit, and I'm going to try to focus as best I can on how to allay these things, how to deal with them, how to think about them, or at least the way I have thought about them, which is not my original thoughts. Some of them are, but a lot of it comes from other philosophers, psychologists, People who have studied this uh, artists, people who have looked at this and asked these questions and played around with these questions through all different means, mainly, I pull from, as many as you know, uh, as many of you know, uh, through philosophy and psychology. And so what are these four existential crises? What are these four things that every human, just by being alive, must deal with, must confront and must have answers for? They are the following. First, we must deal with the problem of freedom. And you'll see why in a minute I call these problems in a sense. We must deal with this question or this problem of freedom. That's the first existential crisis we must deal with. We also must deal with the problem or the question of loneliness. We need to also deal with third, the problem or the question of meaninglessness. And then fourth and finally, we have to deal with the question or the problem of death. So freedom, loneliness, meaninglessness, and death. These are what I would call the four existential crises, the four things that all of us must contend with. And if we're going to live our best lives and become our next level human selves, it's my contention, my suggestion that We really need to think about these things and have answers, adequate answers for freedom, loneliness, meaninglessness, and death. And so let's get into the problem of freedom very quickly. Why do I call this a a problem? Why is it a problem? Well, here's the thing about freedom. We humans have the ability to choose and we have the ability to choose from an infinitely random set of circumstances And we have to contend with the angst that comes along with these unlimited possibilities for our choice, for our actions. Right. So there's all these things out there that we could be doing. All of these circumstances that we could be exposed to. And we have to contend with making these choices. Freedom is something that is. A problem in a sense in this regard because every single choice you make comes with giving up something else. Can we see that? That by having freedom to choose from these infinitely random set of circumstances, we have to deal with every time we choose, we give something else up. And there's inherent angst or inherent anxiety about this, these unlimited possibilities for choice and action that come with. Freedom. So how do we as humans begin to deal with this? Because let's face it, this is something that can really uh, mess with us. Um, let's talk about a few examples first of where this could be a problem. Let, let's let think about if you're someone who um, is out of college or um, you know, has lived their life. I'm middle age now, and you can look back. Remember when you were going through high school and you had all of these choices coming up about where you might go to school? Should you go to school? Will you get a scholarship? Are you going to play football? Are you going to go to work? Like, who should I date? Who should I not date? You had all of these situations uh, come up. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? Who should I spend my time with? Who shouldn't I spend my time with? What am I gonna do with my life? And this really came down to choices, didn't it? There were many different things, and there are many different things that we can do, but these choices, uh, at least at that time when we look back, we weren't as practiced at making choices, and so we could have an awful lot of angst around our future. And the choices that we make, whether we do good on a test or whether we go to school or not, or whether we choose to study or choose to go to work or whatever it is, this came with a ton, a ton of different anxieties. And we knew that if we gave up one choice um, or chose one thing, we would give up another thing. And that's the nature of this, which is why many people are very wishy-washy when it comes to choosing And acting, taking definitive actions and choosing definitively, knowing that when we do that, we are going to be in a position where we will lose something else. One of the things I often say, which is um, uh, sometimes a little confusing for people, but when it comes to choice, this is one of the most critical things we humans have to contend with, the ability to choose. And I've always said that anxiety is the inability to make a choice. And depression is the inability to own a choice once it is made. And this speaks to this problem of freedom. Now, you can get a sense of what this looks like, right? I mean, this has all manner of ramifications in life. Whether I stay in a job I hate, or whether I chase my purpose. Whether I stay in a relationship or I go in another direction because someone else is interested in me or not. Um, whether I uh, start a business or go to work and get and do this job offer that you know someone made me. Whether I eat the thing I want to eat now or go to the gym and not eat that thing so that I could be healthy, right? All of these things are important. Now, what we don't understand, and we've never been taught in a sense, is how to deal with this problem of freedom. And so I want to suggest a solution about this. Now, in, in um, civilizations past, they had a very honor code driven way of dealing with this. In other words, when you became a certain age in uh, civilizations in the past, you had a rite of passage, right? You would go through, you know, ceremonies or have to go through a a set of trials or tribulations as a young man or a young woman so that you could understand what was expected of you in the particular culture or society that you were coming up into. And while we can look back and see some of these things as maybe barbaric and not as, uh, you know, civilized as, you know, the modern Western world and the way we handle this, we can also see that this uh, rites of passage that many young women and young men had to contend with and then the expectations that the culture had on them once they went through these rites of passage, while they may not have been perfect, they did serve a purpose of giving each and every young person a standard to live by a code to adhere to and direction in terms of the choices that they should make and choices they shouldn't make. Now as we've gained more freedom in today's day and age, this has become more and more of a problem because we do not have this same sense of code and the same sense of honor and the same sense of direction. Many people who are religious have said this is because religion has served this purpose. Many people who are more philosophical in nature have said that it's not about people losing religion. It's about people losing the ability to think. And there's all manner of explanations in between. What I want to focus on is just how do we deal with this problem? How do we deal with this problem of freedom? If you are someone who is constantly anxious about the choices you're making, feeling lost in the world, not able to own who you are or what you're doing, you are suffering from a problem of freedom. And the solution, in my mind, is to go back and take a uh, page out of the playbook of civilizations gone, uh, you know, that, that have long gone. And this is to construct a personal honor code a personal honor code, not one that is borrowed. There's nothing wrong with the honor codes of religion or the honor codes of certain philosophical uh, orientations. But if we are gonna deal with our own choices and our own actions and allay some of this problem of freedom, what we need is we need an anchor and a lighthouse. We need something that anchors us firmly in who we are and what we want to accomplish so that when the inevitable storms of life come, That we are able to deal with this problem of freedom and make the right choices and feel good in the direction that we are heading. And in my mind, this is what an honor code does. Now, I've talked about this in past uh, podcasts. Matter of fact, I did an episode specifically just on the honor code. But just to be um, thorough... Let's cover what that would look like here. And the best place to start is to ask yourself a couple of questions. The first question in constructing an honor code, which acts as the guide by which you make choices and take actions, which then allows you to deal with freedom. The way that you do this is you ask the question first of who are my heroes? And what this question does, and these heroes, by the way, could be heroes who are fictional in movies and books. These can be uh, heroes that are historical, no longer living, but people you know about in in uh, you know from the past, and these could be people who you are uh, presently in your life, family members, or um, you know people today who are still living who you read or pay attention to, and influencers and whatever. But you want to think about who these. Uh, Heroes are and you want to think about why are they my heroes and these heroes are going to have a particular Orientation to life. They're gonna have particular choices that they make a particular standard that they adhere to By understanding who your heroes are you're gonna understand very quickly the direction That you may want to take to be proud of yourself at the end of your life. So I'll give you an example some of my heroes um, are Uh, The following people. Frederick Douglass is a hero of mine. Martin Luther King, uh, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, Thoreau, uh, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali. These are heroes of mine. And when you look at these individuals, if if I go, what's the common thread with all these individuals? Well, they all fought for something they believed in. They were also all teachers and they were all on the right side of history and doing the right thing and helping humanity move forward. Uh, far earlier than it was popular to do. In other words, they fought battles to move the world further. They led by example, and they were teachers. Now, some of them were warriors, like Muhammad Ali and Bruce Lee. They were fighters. Uh, they were, some of them were uh, you know, heads of state, Nelson Mandela and um, Gandhi and people like that. And others were just philosophers and writers. But the point is, when I think about these heroes... I have a few more, by the way, my mother and my father are my heroes, the way that they sacrificed their generosity, the choices they made throughout their life. They're my heroes. And so when I ask the question about freedom, I can go, who are my heroes? How did they behave? And how do I choose and act like them? This is the first part of dealing with the problem of freedom and also dealing with the ability to choose definitively to make definitive choices, to take definitive actions, and to own those choices to their end, to commit to something. I wanna jump in real quick and tell you about one of my favorite new products. And to start out, I wanna ask you a question. If you had to follow your friends around who are not the healthiest in the world and see what they are doing, what would be the number one thing you would probably tell them to do to start? For most people, that's going to be drinking more water, right? This is something that we talk about all the time in health and fitness. It's almost as if we think of it as an afterthought now because obviously water is so crucial. However, we oftentimes get this wrong. For example, did you know that when it comes to hydration, just drinking water can make things worse? Most people don't know this. Why? Partly because most people are over drinking water and under consuming the electrolytes that help water do its job. What we don't realize is that hydration is not just about water. It's about electrolytes, the minerals in there, as well as getting that water into the cells. And so you do not want to be over consuming water if you're not getting your electrolytes right. And this opens up a whole new discussion because most people are not getting their electrolytes right. For example, did you know that low sodium, too low sodium is an issue? Just as much, if not more so than high sodium. In other words, what we want, if we're going to get the right electrolytes is to get the right amount of sodium and potassium and magnesium in the Goldilocks zone. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We want it just right. This opens up a whole other thing here too because people who are exercising, doing sauna therapies, doing low-carb diets are disrupting and losing lots and lots of their electrolytes. For example, when insulin is not around in low-carb diets, you will excrete lots of sodium. In other words, under that state, exercising, low-carb diets, all these things, you actually need more sodium. And so if you're somebody who has been just drinking water, not paying attention to electrolytes, and also feeling fatigued, feeling like you're underperforming, not sleeping right, getting cramps, twitches, headaches, any of these things, then you are probably dealing with an electrolyte issue. This is where the product element comes in. This product has been a game changer for me and many, many of my patients and clients. This is a rehydration electrolyte beverage, basically. It is a powder of electrolytes formulated with 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams magnesium without the added sugar and other nonsense that comes in beverages like Gatorade. This stuff is basically a rehydration beverage on steroids. It is the thing that is going to replenish your electrolytes in the right ratios, decrease fatigue, really correct chronic dehydration and by the way, many people are dehydrating themselves becoming hyponatremic, low sodium when they're consuming too much water. You need your electrolytes on board especially if you are someone who is losing lots of sodium and other electrolytes through low-carb diets, and lots and lots of exercise. This is where Element comes in. Element is a new sponsor to the Next Level Human podcast. I cannot recommend this product enough. I have been using this stuff for months now, and I have immediately seen changes in my energy levels. I feel like I'm operating on a whole other level, and I have seen this as being the primary thing that people who have been using Element have been telling me that their fatigue is getting better, especially fatigue that comes after very intense workouts that involve lots of sweating and lots of intense output from the nervous system. Please check out Element. Use the code NEXTLEVELDRINKELEMENT.COM That's D R I N K L M N T. DrinkElement.com, and let's get back to the show. Sorry to break in. I want to cover one of my sponsors, Organifi. Now, look, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, and many of you who know me well know this, but shockingly, I cannot stand vegetables. I really do not like vegetables. I have not liked them since a child. I think it has something to do with my mom who cooked everything just Boiled, boiled everything. No salt, no fat, no taste. Period. And so I developed an extreme dislike for almost all vegetables. And still to this day, I have a difficult time getting in my fruits and vegetables. Well, Organifi started by my good friend Drew Canole, who I've developed a relationship over the years, and I am really sort of tickled that we finally get to do this together with Organify sponsoring the Next Level Human podcast. Drew is a next-level human. Organifi is a next-level human company. I can't say enough about them. I'm excited for them to be on board as a sponsor for the Next Level Human podcast. My favorite products, let me tell you about them. They have a ton, but I use three pretty much every day. I use Organifi Gold before I go to sleep. This is their turmeric tea based on sort of the old Ayurvedic golden milk. It is absolutely fantastic. It contains lots of different relaxing herbs, turmeric, taste wonderful. And one of the things this has done for me is I had a very bad wine habit at night. It started out as just one glass of wine. Lately, it's turned into two, three, and sometimes a bottle. What I've done starting in 2021 is use Organifi. This is what I have in lieu of wine. And I sit there just like I used to sit with my wine and I have the Organifi Gold. I also use the green and red juice powders. I have never liked greens and reds juices, period. These powders, to me, always tasted like swamp water. I use one scoop of the greens, one scoop of the reds, first thing in the morning before my coffee. It has become a, a ritual over the last several years. It is fantastic. Those are the ones I use the most. Of course, they have a great line of protein products. And they have a new Organifi Gold Chocolate, which I have not tried yet, but I cannot wait to try that because you all know I love cocoa powder and use it for lots of different things, for cravings and everything else. Check out Organifi, Organifi.com. Use the code NEXTLEVEL. Please take care of Organifi the same way they're taking care of the earth, doing amazing things as a company, and now taking care of the Next Level Human Podcast so we can all be together, and have these discussions. Organify.com, use the code NEXTLEVEL. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. There's two ways, right, to deal with freedom. One way is you have all the choices in the world, but that can be overwhelming. The other way to deal with freedom is to choose just one thing and commit to it. I would argue that the better way to deal with freedom is to choose and act in accordance with your honor code and own that. And so understanding your heroes is one thing. Also understanding your deathbed scenario. What do I mean by that? It means think about you on your deathbed and think about the things and the ways of behaving and the choices you could make that would make you proud to be alive and to have lived your life, to be able to die with a smile on your face, right? Think about on my deathbed, what would be the things that I regret And what would be the things I would be proud of? This again helps you allay this issue of freedom. And finally, another thing similar to the deathbed scenario, but now to imagine you're at your own eulogy and you're a spirit in the back of the room watching as people come up and talk about you after you've passed. What kind of things would you want them to say about you? How would you want them to speak of you in terms of your behaviors, your actions, and what you stood for? These three questions lead you to the type of human you want to be. And they also begin to define your ability to be free, to make definitive choices, to take solid actions and to own who you are. This is the way that we deal with freedom, the problem of freedom as humans in my mind. Now, the second piece here is this idea of loneliness. Now, You might say, Jade, I don't feel lonely. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are all, all of us humans are simultaneously connected to others while also always alone. We are always alone in our head despite the fact that we are always connected to others. Isn't this true? We can never as humans truly be with anyone despite the desire to be a part of a larger whole. In other words, we are always Alone inside, regardless of who is connected with us. And we know this because, regardless of how connected we are to our kids, our lover, our family, etc. We know they are all going to pass and perhaps go away. We know they can choose to reject us, to betray us. They can die, right? And so we are always, always alone. We come into this world alone and we go out of this world alone. Even if someone is sitting on your deathbed, holding your hand at the end, you have to go and pass through death by yourself. No one does that with you. So we are simultaneously connected while always also being alone. We can never truly be with any other person despite that we desperately want to be. And we know this. And so this is why it's an existential crisis in a sense. Because the sheer magnitude of what that means if we dwell on it too long can overwhelm us and create fear and create sadness and uh, you know, stop us in our tracks. And so how do we deal with this problem of loneliness, this crisis of loneliness? Well, the solution in the way that I see it is that if we want to belong, if we want to be accepted, if we want people to be tolerant of us and be there for us, then what we need to do is we need to provide belonging, acceptance, and tolerance to others. We need to be there for others. We need to stop expecting others to be there for us. Now, in a sense, I get what uh, many of you might be thinking. You're like, how does this allay loneliness? What it means is that regardless of where you are, as long as you are alive, rather than expecting people to come be with you, you make it your job to go be with them. You make it your job. Isn't it true that we humans, we're always wanting people to love us, to accept us, to tell us we're great, to to call us, to text us, to message us, to ask us to go up to a place. And we oftentimes forget that that's not other people's jobs. And if we sit waiting, then perhaps we'll be waiting forever. Instead, what if we decided I am going to make it my job to make other people less lonely? That when I see someone standing in line, I can engage them and make them feel more welcome. When I see somebody on who's homeless on the side of the road, rather than walk past them, I can say hi and look them in the eye and you know uh, show some humanity and show some love. I can speak to people. I can be the one who calls my friends and family. I can be the one who uh, you know makes plans and. Uh, thinks about the memories that I can create for other people. I could be the one, you can be the one, we can be the one who take it upon ourselves to solve the problem of loneliness for others. Now, can we ever truly solve it? Of course not, that's why it's a crisis in a sense. We will always, always be alone when it really comes down to it. However, we can generate a sense of belonging, acceptance, and beauty for other humans so long as we set that intention and as long as we are doing that in this sort of roundabout way we can allay the problem of loneliness within ourselves because we are bringing ourselves to the we are bringing ourselves to other people so that they feel less alone in that moment And this, to me, is the only choice we have, really, to deal with loneliness. And so whenever we are lonely, what if whenever you felt this loneliness and this existential crisis of being alone, you set out every time to go make other people feel like they belong, to go volunteer, to call a friend, to send a love letter, to... Be in gratitude and tell people that you see them, that you're grateful for them, that they have power, that they don't need to be afraid. Show them their greatest strength. Show them that they matter, and you will begin to matter more. And this goes into the third existential crisis, which is the problem of meaninglessness. Now, this one is sometimes difficult for people to grasp, but we humans confront an indifferent universe in a sense, if you look at it, now we all have different beliefs, but we all can be acutely aware, can't we, that um, the world can be pretty cruel. In a sense, sometimes it seems like the world could care less about our wants and desires. And at the same time, we have a deep need to make our lives matter and to make a difference. We want to find meaning, right? And This loneliness problem and this meaningless problem, sort of meaninglessness problem, kind of go hand in hand, right? We want to belong, we want to matter, and we want to make a difference. And so in a sense, meaning is something that we must be on the lookout for. In other words, it is something that we have to go out and find, And oftentimes, I often say purpose is something you create and choose because purpose is something you give to the world. And so purpose is an evolution of meaning. Once you have purpose, you will have greater meaning. But meaning is something you can actually find. Viktor Frankl talked about this in Man's Search for Meaning. We can find meaning in other people, right? Our lovers, our family, our friends, our teachers, our mentors. They can give us meaning. Our kids but it's borrowed, right? That's why it's always fleeting. That's why we're always going to confront meaninglessness, just like we will always confront loneliness. But we can find meaning in with people, right? We can also find meaning in places, environments. We can find meaning in a beautiful sunset. We can find meaning w- watching um, the ocean or... Uh, You know going into you know and and letting a waterfall crash over us or looking at a beautiful nature scape we can feel a Connectedness and a part of things and like we are part of something larger than us We also can find this in our work and our creative pursuits and this is where things start getting very much uh, Into the evolution of purpose. I oftentimes say that we use words like passion and meaning and purpose interchangeably, but they're, they're very different. Passion is something that you like, that you enjoy, but it's fleeting, and passions can be fickle. One minute you love it, the next minute you don't. Once you make a passion or an interest, something that you revisit time and time again, then it turns into meaning. But both passion and meaning are borrowed. What, it, what I mean by that is that they come from the outside world. There's something you have to go out and seek. Purpose is the evolution of meaning. It's something that you choose to create and bring to the world. An example I always like to use is that oftentimes people who have kids, I don't have children, but many times uh, people will say, well, my kids are my purpose. And another human cannot be your purpose. Your significant other can't be your purpose. Your children can't be your purpose. They're deep meaning for you. But purpose is something you give to the world as a whole, not something you just give to the the things that are meaningful, but something you give without need for acknowledgement or reciprocation. So if you're a parent, your, your kids might give you meaning, but it's not purpose until you write a book on parenting or you help other people be better parents or you give something about your knowledge about being a parent to the greater good, to the whole world. And so, in a sense, when we think about dealing with meaninglessness, we need to understand that passions and meaning and purpose are all very important and make life so wonderful and rich. However, what we truly want to be dealing with to allay meaninglessness is to find purpose. And isn't it interesting that purpose and and really I said find, but again, it's choose and create because you don't find purpose. You don't stumble across purpose. Purpose is this unique spiritual fingerprint. It's the humble recognition that the people I've been exposed to and my unique personality and the pain that I have endured and my unique superpowers and my passions all make me suited like a fingerprint, a unique single thing that I can bring to the world. And I do it simply because I can, not by need of recognition or reciprocation. And there's lots of different things that I can do and you can do. There's not just one thing. And so it is a choice and purpose evolves as well. And to me, this is the deepest place that we can go. And isn't it funny that purpose is so powerful it helps to allay the existential crisis of meaninglessness it helps with the loneliness factor and it helps with the freedom problem so in a sense purpose is the antidote to all of these in a sense right and so the solution in dealing with this is to use your signature strengths your unique pain and life lessons to make the world a better place for others This is the way that you deal with meaninglessness. Now, isn't this different than what some people do? They have pain, they have lessons, and instead of of saying to themselves, I will stop the pain here, I will not pass this pain on, they oftentimes become bitter, and instead of allaying other people's suffering, they pass that suffering on. The trick to dealing with meaninglessness is to take all of your life experiences to take your pain your unique pain find similar pain in others and look to heal them rather than expecting them to do it for you and this begins to address this meaninglessness state now the final one here the final existential existential crisis is the problem of death we humans have a short blink of an eye time in which to exist we know life can end at any moment, and it can end without warning. And so this is, when you think about this, just the sheer magnitude of what this means, it could paralyze us, in a sense, right? Because I could be gone in 15 seconds, Well, I could be I could have a massive heart attack while I am giving you this talk, this podcast. I could die in 15 minutes in 15 years. I don't know if we have amazing technology maybe in 150 years but eventually I will die and eventually you will die. The other day I was walking past uh, in Asheville, North Carolina here I was walking past this building and it said built in 19 or 1899 and I was thinking to myself there's not a person on the planet right now probably who was alive when this building was built and I am walking past this building now and It struck me just for a minute, and I'm sure you have this happen to you sometimes as well, where you're just like, wow, Like, how many people have come and gone? Every single one of us must die, and it can happen at any moment. So how do we deal with this? Well, we basically just talked about all the ways, the problem of freedom and dealing with it, the problem of loneliness and dealing with it, the problem of meaninglessness and dealing with it, All also help work with death, but it also is more important because if we're going to deal with the problem of death, we have to begin to see death as something very different. We have to begin to see death as something that we embrace almost as if it's a best friend, something that is always reminding us to complete our life's work. Reminding us that we do not have any time. Time is not guaranteed. So we must use our time to plant goodness for those who continue on after us to make the world a better place for us having been here. Now, doesn't this sound a lot like purpose again, doesn't it? The singular thing that I choose to do, that I create, that allows the world to be better for me having been here and without death impending without our best friend, Death, knowing that it's around the corner, what would spur us to do this work? What would spur us to make the choices, to take the actions, to be the thing that we need to be to contribute our unique contribution? We humans don't live in a vertical hierarchy, as some people say. We live in an ecosystem. and In an ecosystem, every single entity, every single living Creature in that ecosystem has a unique purpose, a purpose potential, a reason for being there that keeps the ecosystem healthy, right? This is why if you kill off all the bees, the king of the jungle, the lions, will also die because they are at the top of the food chain and the bees help deal with the bottom of the food chain. But all of them are equally important. We humans have got this wrong for some reason. We have decided that we are... uh, not an ecosystem that we can control others and we can control nature and we'll just take what we want without any uh, repercussions or any consequences. And we see that this is not true. It's not the way nature works and we, like it or not, are part of nature. And so solving the problem of death means talking about death more, not less. Dealing with death, confronting death, thinking about your death, talking to people who are dying, considering it instead of ignoring it and being afraid of it. How would your life be different? And how would my life be different? How would we all be different if death was a common conversation piece? Not a morbid thing to not talk about, not something that ruins dinner, but something that we embrace and we understand has the power to make us better humans. And so I want you to consider the fact that these four existential crises, freedom, loneliness, meaninglessness, and death, need to be considered if we're going to live our best life. To deal with freedom, we must construct a personal honor code that acts as an anchor and a lighthouse in the storms of life. To deal with loneliness, we must provide belonging and acceptance and tolerance to others We must be there for others and stop expecting other people to be there for us. To deal with meaninglessness, we need to use our signature strengths, our unique pain and our unique life lessons to make the world a better place for others. And to deal with death, we need to embrace death as a best friend. Something that is always reminding us, always being there to say, complete your work. Always whispering to us, use your time do good now. You don't have any time. Forgive now. You don't have any time. Ask for forgiveness. Give forgiveness. Do the thing. Don't delay any longer. Thank you so much for hanging out on the podcast today, and I will see you at the next episode.